Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Monthly Movie News, a monthly segment on Cinematic Doctrine where my co-host Daniel and I talk about movie news or newsworthy topics from the previous month. In this episode, we decide to dig headfirst into the Golden Globes. Although they're almost a month ago and the Oscars are literally happening in a matter of days, Daniel went deep diving into some fascinating subjects regarding the Golden Globes. Throughout this episode, you'll hear our deliberations on the results of the Golden Globes, the never-ending controversies surrounding them, their mysterious and borderline conspiracy-sounding history, and ultimately, whether or not they truly matter apart from being a manufactured scheme to sell more home video copies of popular movies. It's an amazing adventure as we navigate the value of award shows, whether the cultural definition of good is equal to the Christian definition of good, and how, despite all this chit-chat, we still look forward to hearing the results of the award shows. If you enjoy this show, be sure to check out Cinematic Doctrine's other offerings like Trailer Talk and our regular movie reviews. You can also leave a review on your respective podcast app to show your support, or go one step further and consider supporting the show via Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can influence the show by choosing a movie we review at the end of every month. Or, you know, you don't have to. That's cool too. We're just glad you're here. And if you want to keep up with Daniel, you can check him out on Twitter at TomRondell1, that's an H after the R. All of this will be available in the show notes. Also, just forewarning, Daniel's mic seemed to have some very light recording trouble. If you hear momentary popping every 20 minutes, it's not your speakers or headphones, it's us. We apologize. Without further ado, let's dig into the news. So yeah, the Golden Globes were on January fifth. The they were the seventy seventh. Deceptively hard to say. The seventy seventh Golden Globes were held, also known as the less prestigious Oscars. Melvin, did you watch the not the Oscars this year? Nope, but I did have an article open on the day after and just saw who won. So <laughs> that was it. <laughs> there you go. That's smart. You don't have to like worry about whatever Ricky Gervais said or whatever. You just <laughs> get the hard straight results actually i I even in the past tried to be like a consistent watcher of all movie awards just because i felt like i needed to be you know and then you know live tweet with everyone else but actually this year was the first time in a while i did the same thing i just i forgot they were happening i was aware that they were going to take place and then like i think i checked my phone at work or something and i saw like 
I got like a push notification announcing like one of the winners. So that <laughs> that wraps up that section, I suppose. Uh, neither <laughs> of us watched it. Shows you how important we think they are. I mean, regardless, uh, this year the big winners were uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which took home Best Picture, parentheses, musical or comedy, supporting actor for Brad Pitt, Best Screenplay for Tarantino, and 1917, which took home Best Picture and Director for Sam Mendes. Uh, Joker and Rocketman also won two awards each, with Joaquin Phoenix getting the Best Actor in a Drama Award for the titular character of the Joker, alongside, oh gosh, uh, Hildur Guinadotti? How do you pronounce that name? I was I thought there was an R at the end, so it was like good Nadator or something, but it's it's uh what is it like? Uh oh I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hilder won the award for best original score. Yeah. For a Joker, which I thought was good when that's a, I feel so bad for somebody who like suddenly comes to prominence and everyone in the media just cannot for the life of them say their name. Just like um Timothy Chalamet. And even just now, I didn't say it the way it's pronounced. But. Probably not. <laughs> like, same thing with athletes. Like, there's a uh, MMA fighter whose name is Daniel Cormier, I think. I still don't know. Um, but it's spelled, like, Cormier. And I, I watch different YouTubers and people talk about MMA, and they all say it differently. So, poor guy. Or what about um, Sorsha Ronan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good luck that one if you've never heard it before. <laughs> Yeah, and then Tara, Taylor Edgerton won Best Actor for Comedy Musical Category for performance as Elton John in Rocket Man. Uh, while the actual, the real Elton John also won an award, he won Best Original Song with Bernie Taupin for I'm Gonna Love Me Again from the movie from the movie Rocket Man. Other wins of the night went to Rainey Zellweger, who received the Best Actress in a Drama Award for playing the titular role of Judy, while Aquafina grabbed Best Actress Award in the Comedy and Musical Category for The Farewell. Laura Dern grabbed Best Supporting Actress for A Marriage Story which was the lone win for Marriage Story, despite being the most nominated film with six nominations total. Ran out of the winners. Uh, Missing Link won Best Animated Feature Film, and Parasite won Best Foreign Language Film. So, Mel, what are you feeling those winners? Did you think anyone got robbed or snubbed? Do you... <laughs> the vibe I'm getting is you don't particularly seem to care much for the Golden Globes at all. I mean, do you have any thoughts on those winners? Does it sound right? Does it sound wrong? Well, it would have been cool to see DiCaprio get Best Actor, but when you have Joaquin Phoenix's Joker performance regardless of thoughts on the film it's it's kind of just a shoe in but i don't know like i the last couple of weeks like have just been thinking about how good once upon a time in hollywood is and i'm like man i wish that just cleaned up <laughs> like just took all the Os- or oscars <laughs> there you go i just wish it took all the golden globes and moved on but yeah doesn't that just put into perspective uh golden globes um, golden globes just as much as the oscars but golden globes are just to sell more dvds and blu-rays <laughs> there's no other purpose <laughs> hey what's that movie about i don't know but it's won some golden globes what are those i don't know but it won them i guess i'll buy it yeah <laughs> yeah more and more i feel like award shows are just a contra- uh, like a race to see who can get stickers on their like home video releases yeah especially when we're in this age of getting what you want whenever you want and it's so specialized and specific for you so like for instance spotify like there are a lot of musicians that i really like that i would love for them to get like rewards and exposure but they're usually independent artists who can't afford doing a campaign to get into some sort of awards ceremony but also they just don't care they'd rather just tour and make music um we're recording just after the grammys grammys is the music one <laughs> right yeah well yeah we're recording just after the grammys and um 
Tyler the Creator got uh, best Grammy or <laughs> Grammy best for best Grammy. Uh, best grammy he won the best he is the best though no but he won best grammy for hip-hop <laughs> yeah but the point being he had a really interesting conversation afterward when someone asked him about winning and he was like well and he himself when he when he was working on the album Igor, he was like, this is not a hip hop album. This is not a rap album. And then he's being rewarded for it being a hip hop album or a rap album solely because, and in his words was like, because it's a more urban film, which he then says, like, I feel like urban is just the new N word. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. It's just shoving me into a thing. And then, and so I can't get best album because it's a best urban album. So the point being like this whole, the, all this stuff just feels like dated and is used for selling, but also for like, I don't know, patting people on the back, but it's like, there are plenty of great movies that I've seen this year that like, they just weren't brought up. Like my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost maddening. I don't know. It's, it just doesn't make sense to me anymore, but this is the age we live in and it's used to sell stuff. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, as as we proceed, we're going to get kind of into my own thoughts about the Golden Globes as a whole and kind of award shows. But I mean, one thing to the Golden Globes credit is they just to my understanding is they like pretty freely will nominate like stuff from Hulu and Netflix. I mean, that partially might be because they do television. And so that's easier. But like we see like the the Oscars are struggling, for example, to adapt to the entire like changing landscape of like streaming services where like movies like the Irishman and marriage story get like two or three week, like um, quote unquote, like releases in theaters, but it's only like specifically so that like the people who make them can like win Oscars for them essentially, which is kind of a bump, which is unfortunate to a service like Netflix or Hulu where like the reason they're buying and supporting these films and like funding them is in theory to drive up like subscriptions to their services. So people, cause so people like who want to see them will buy, will buy their service to see them. And then they're getting that almost like forcibly taken away from them so that their films can be like recognized as films, which is sort of weird because like, there's nothing about them that makes them not movies. Like there's nothing about marriage story, the Irishman that is, less legitimate as a film than anything that you can only see in theaters, for example. But yeah, you're right. Like there is this thing where the award shows like are rapidly trying to keep up with the times and just don't seem to know how the classic example. And this might be one of the widest examples I've ever used in the podcast, but like in, I think in 1990 uh, when the for Grammy for metal performance was first like introduced, um, this is a bit of pop quiz trivia for email. And do you remember what the first, band to win a, a grammy for metal performance was i can't but i <laughs> you brought up music and i thought of what is it that it's the um the charts thing for music was it billboard that's, billboard yeah what was that thing with billboard this year at least from last year was like the the most popular artist from the decade for rock music was like imagine dragons yeah, so i yeah. assume if it's something from the 90s that's like I just I just can't wait for you to tell me now <laughs> because it's going to fascinate. Well, me. <laughs> it's it's not it's like it's not even like a funny answer. It's just it's just a like head scratcher. Jethro Tull what? won the first ever <laughs> Grammy for like metal performance. It was just like, you know, the like you said, like it's a bunch of they don't know. <laughs> that they doesn't beat, make like, any sense. I know they beat Metallica, <laughs> but they beat like three or four other like prominent. Like when you think metal, you think like I think they might also be Anthrax or Megadeth or something. It's just like, 
what? <laughs> and so like the, whenever it's really strange. Yeah. Whenever I think like, oh man, it kind of bums me out. This person didn't want to grant me. I just remember, well, you know, just historically, this is not a new thing. <laughs> As is the kids, most award shows, the thing that most people end up talking about afterwards is some sort of controversy. Golden Globes are no exception. Seemingly like almost by design at this point where they keep inviting Ricky Gervais back, which I mean, the first time, I don't know if you remember the first time he hosted the Golden Globes and there's like a big like dust up about the whole thing or I mean, I thought he was funny the first year, to be honest with you. I mean, I was younger and more prone to just like mean spirited kind of comedy, but like he got up there and he like made light of like Robert Downey Jr.'s drug addiction. Like he made light of all kinds of things, which I mean, yeah. Okay. One time the Golden Globes get like a free pass, but they keep inviting him back. And I can't but feel like it's partially to manufacture outrage to drive up like interest in the Golden Globes. So there's that like every year, um, Joaquin Phoenix had like a bizarre speech afterwards or like almost all the words were bleeped out so you can understand what he was saying but like as always the main controversy is about the nominees themselves particularly why the majority of nominees and winners are typically white males that seems to be bright every year uh eddie murphy and jennifer lopez are both favorites among critics in the press leading up to the show and they did not win uh while like People who have previously won Emmys, like Billy Porter and Sherelle Jerome, weren't nominated at all, despite being like the most lauded performers of the year for their performances on television. But the real kicker is that not a single woman was nominated for Best Director or Screenplay, including Greta Gerwig, who did Little Women, Rel Heller, who did A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which, and Lulu Wang for The Farewell, which I think would be the most egregious, um, despite all of their films being nominated in other categories. It's also worth noting that if it wasn't for Bong Joon-ho, we might also be having a similar conversation about the ethnicity for the best director category as well. Which I mean, like, that is something that's brought up every year, and I think it does have merit. I mean, before I sort of transition to my thoughts, do you have any sort of thoughts on that particular controversy? Not to throw you immediately, like, into the fire of this, like, heated debate, but I don't know, do you have any sort of, like, quick soundbite kind of thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked to, I think, when did we talk about this? Not this in particular, but we talked about stuff like this before where it was just like... I think it was when we were talking about Star Wars. So I guess it was our last MMN where like what's starting to happen is I shouldn't say starting. <laughs> There's this new thing called racism and sexism. Yeah, which yeah. the nation. For, for like, yeah, right. All the That's kids how, are into it. Yeah. But like, man, The Farewell was a really great movie. Why wasn't that nominated for like best picture in either drama or comedy? Like it, it's a very funny and a very good drama. I didn't see Little Women, but man, I've heard some really freaking good things about it. And I've wanted to see it uh, like the last few weeks. But then I just get tired and I stay home. (laughs) But like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I saw that. And while I didn't necessarily think it was a great movie, it's such Oscar bait. It's such award season bait. Like, (laughs) why didn't that get picked? I don't know. Okay, so like just a little bit of um, a little bit of a little bit of journalistic integrity and honesty here both to you, Melvin, and to your listeners. Sometimes when I bring up like a topic, I kind of in my head already, I think I already know what my answer is going to be. Because uh, initially I was planning on tackling this controversy, and I, I assume the an- the easy answer to this would be, be similar to what... Um, remember Brie Larson? She she got a lot of flack for comments she made about the idea of like male versus female critics. And while I do think her comments were A, taken out of context, B, I do think she was being like, you know, a little hyperbolic in the moment, particularly within the situation she was in where she was like on a stage in front of people and stuff. And like, yeah, the comments were a little too pointed, but she did have a basic point there about how 
when we watch when you watch a movie, you will inherently tend to enjoy or connect with films that just speak to you where like films speaking to the particular experience of a particular type of person or a person going through a particular type of experience, you're going to connect with that. Like for instance, like if you had just gone through like a traumatic battle to some sort of disease or fought off against cancer, a cancer drama, like a movie like 50, 50 is just going to hit you harder than it would someone who has not had cancer, you know? And that just like bleeds over into how we look at films where a movie that very much tackles the experience of an African-American within America or touches on issues of racism is obviously going to connect better to people who have experienced racism. Like this sounds obvious, but it seems to really elude people because the, the talking points people tend to refrain to are, well, who cares? Like obviously the cream will rise to the top, like the best films every year are going to get nominated, which is just kind of like not true. Like, when you look at the Academy that votes in the Academy Awards, for example, the vast majority, just like demographically, are white and they tend to be male. So it's no like surprise almost every year where like the the nominees and the films get picked tend to speak to like experiences of like older white males. That's why you get a lot of war films or like Oscar bait dramas or like biopics or biopics, however you want to say it. And I kind of assumed that's what the the answer to this query would be, because I was kind of like curious about like looking into like who is voting on the golden globes so pop quiz melvin who are the people nominating and voting on the golden globes uh <laughs> is that public information i don't even know it is this is this, this is not a secret i didn't i don't didn't, have insider sources in hollywood who are voting on and nominating the golden globes yeah i mean i don't know is it individual i mean so there is a name there is a name for the group there's a name for the group okay so if it's a group then i don't know because my first thought is i think in oscars it's like you can pay into like a if you're recognized as like a critic or or like a an official in in hollywood you can nominate through the oscars but i guess golden globes doesn't work the well same okay way. so the 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 people voting on the oscars are and they're it's the academy and the academy has around about um well, that's that's for that's a future pop quiz question. Uh, the answer is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Hollywood Foreign Press. What the heck is that? Well, I was gonna, like pop quiz, Melvin. Who and what are the Hollywood Foreign Press Association? Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess all of my authority <laughs> and clout is just going to vanish um, this episode. Well, <laughs> to, be, to be fair, and so I the my my understanding of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is from two things. First off, if you actually watch the Golden Globes, it's the thing like it's kind of like similar to Oscars. People get up and go, oh, you know, I like to thank the Academy. People will like throw in, like, I like to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And uh, there was a controversy where Brendan Fraser. Uh, claims to have been sexually uh, assaulted by someone in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and because of their like clout, he he credits that to part of why his career didn't do so hot for a while, because he got blackballed because of them. Mm. Those are the only two things I knew about the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and so I was curious because uh, the answer to who they, who and what they are is actually kind of complicated. So I started doing still digging, and according to a fascinating article from the New York Times titled "Wait, Who Runs the Hollywood Foreign Press Association." Uh, this is written just last year by a journalist named Katie Weaver. Uh, quote, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association was born of the chaos of global warfare in 1943, when eight foreign-born journalists living in California banded together to, apparently, gossip privately about celebrities. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association's official website vaguely says, at first, the members held informal gatherings of private homes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
wow, that sounds like what I do on a Saturday evening. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. We're, we're, we're up there with the greats, Melvin. That's like yeah. on the resume when it's like <laughs> you, uh, you've you just learned how to like cook based off of blogs online. And then on the resume, when you want a cooking job, it says like chef for eight years. Yeah, yeah it's just like no, it's just such crap. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's so bad, man. At first, the members held <laughs> informal gatherings in private homes. Guess what, listener? <laughs> At first, Daniel and I held yeah. informal recordings of us talking about movies. And now we have authority because I know how to upload to Buzzsprout. Yeah, if anything, this is like my podcast. Yeah, this is more on the up and up, if anything. <laughs> that's like that's like what my LinkedIn says. Professional film critic. <laughs> so bad, dude. I, I can't believe like the just the first thing you've said about these people has broken me. <laughs> uh, continuing the quote, uh, the lives of most of the founders remain obscure. By far the best known, Henry Griss, a native Latvian who wrote a lengthy profile Mussolini's son-in-law for Esquire in 1937, would go on to publish a National Esquire article titled ba- Space Alien Baby Found Alive, Say Russians. He also reportedly lost an arm at some point between establishing the Golden Globes and his death. Uh, another article. <laughs> this, unless you know, you I'm know, so sorry. This, for a second. As you continue to like give background to this, I'm starting to understand like the 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 typical characteristics of a cinephile. <laughs> These are our origins. <laughs> These are, are those who yeah. came before us. Um, so another article discussing the formation of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I'm going to get real sick of saying that. Uh, cuts right to the chase as to the purpose of the group's formation. Caroline Framke writing for Vox in a piece titled The Golden Globes and the Controversial Group That Decides the Awards Explained uh, writes, When the Hollywood Foreign Press Association was formed as the Hollywood Foreign Press Correspondents Association in 1943, its members' primary goal was to, quote, formalize their relationship with the studios and facilitate the work of interviewing movie stars, film directors for publications around the world. Basically, foreign journalists in Southern California weren't getting the same attention as local journalists. They definitely weren't getting the access to movie stars and film directors that they wanted. The first Gold Globe Awards was held in 1944 at an informal luncheon, a far cry from the sparkly festivals the ceremony has since become. But like the thing is the past is the past. I'm sure like if you look at the history of anything, the formations are a little rocky. Um, and also just this is this has been since 1940, like three, 44, 43, 44, roughly when they started doing this. Like, and it keeps going. We keep sitting out and watching the awards every year. Surely the Hollywood for Press Association has developed into a legitimate governing body by now, right? Pop quiz, Melvin. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Roughly, how many people are in the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences that vote on the Oscars? Uh, a lot. Is it, um, is it more than 500? It is more than 500. Is it more than 5,000? It is more than 5,000. What in the world? Is it less than 10,000? It is less than 10,000. I'm going to ballpark and say 7,000. Okay, that's not bad. I mean, I <laughs> gave you a decent amount of hits, but uh, roughly 6,000, although I found an article from The Wrap that put the number closer to 8,000. I mean, as soon as we record this in a couple of years, it'll be wrong because they keep adding numbers. And then, you know, of course, members die and things like that. So, but yeah, it's roughly between six and 8,000. The Academy, and especially in recent years, the Academy has, to their credit, uh, attempted to more expand their membership, especially to diversify their membership. Uh, but it's somewhere between six and 8,000. Pop quiz, Melvin. Okay. How many people are in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association? 
<laughs> I don't know how many people can fit in a living room. <laughs> <laughs> that is not that is not a bad train of thinking to go on. Uh, I mean, if it's just is it's if it's still just like a boys' club, <laughs> I'll assume like less than ten. <laughs> All right, it's it's more than that. It's the answer is nobody seems to know for sure, but it's listed as above ninety in the official website. And according to several sources in researching this, the number never goes past a hundred. That's that's really sh- strange. <laughs> What's it's so funny to hear how exclusive and and obscure this group is, and yet nobody cares about the Golden Globes, and everybody just likes the Oscars. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sure there's someone who's list- who's listening goes, well, I mean, ninety's not a bad number, but like, let's really think about this, like. Some people in their high school graduating class have more than 90 people. I went to a college that had under 200 people, and I would not think that's a good sample size to decide, like, massive awards that people take very seriously. Like, I wouldn't necessarily want the Facebook group for that we run, which just hit 400 members, by the way. So thank you, everyone. Hey. I wouldn't necessarily trust our Facebook group to, like, put together, like, comprehensive, like, awards lists either, just because, like, you know, that's the nebulous nature of letting people vote on things. And every year it would probably just be a Marvel movie that wins anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, to be, I think this year they also would have just probably would have unanimously given Joker all the awards. Just like the way, I mean, that's the way most people who just go on the internet and talk about movies typically think. But so let's pull back the curtain here. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association presents itself as being a collection of journalists from all around the globe. The official criteria for joining are as follows. And this is once again quoted from the Weaver Times article. There are similar things you can find on the website. Uh, members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association must live in the greater Southern California area. They must have received a paycheck for publishing something in a non-American publication four times. They must submit two letters of recommendation from current Hollywood Foreign Press Association members, quote, detailing how long you've been covering the entertainment industry while residing in the greater Southern California area, uh, which seems an overzealous application of the word detailing. They must pay $500 initiation fee. That's about it. Which, I mean, that alone seems to narrow the scope of an alleged foreign press club. In fact, the quality and pedigree of both members' work and the publications they work for is apparently rather suspect. In doing research for this story, I found an article titled, wait for, meet the total randos who decide the Golden Globes. <laughs> where the author states the Hollywood Foreign Press Association never responded to requests for member bios or records of their work. In another Times article titled, Lobbying for Golden Globes is a Hollywood Ritual, from 2004, journalist Sharon Waxman writes, what is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association? Though the group claims to represent the world media that connects Hollywood to its vast international audience, few of the world's most prominent publications are members. Correspondents for Le Monde, The Times of London, and Yomi Yomi Shimbun are not members. Some major publications like the Italian newspaper La Repubblica and the German newspaper Stern are represented, but the association has repeatedly rejected applications for prominent foreign publications while accepting freelancers for small publications in Bangladesh and South Korea. Members need to write, write only four articles a year to maintain their active membership. The group accepts a maximum of five new members a year, and each member must be accepted unanimously. Last year, three members of the association died, but accepted only one new member, Margaret Gardner, who writes for South African publications. Pop quiz, Melvin. All righty. For comparison's sake, what are the requirements to be in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences? Isn't it, isn't it just a fee? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> Per the official Academy website, uh, and this is straight from the, you can look this up on your own if you want to play along at home, I guess. Let's make the podcast a little more interactive. <laughs> Academy membership is limited to film artists working in the production of theatrical release motion pictures. It seems like a no-brainer, but hey, we just heard what you have to do to get in the Hollywood Press Association. The Academy has 17 branches. 
for the crafts ranging from actors to writers in two categories, members at large and associates to accommodate individuals who work in motion picture production, but do not fit into one of those branches. Is it a Hollywood specific film like tied to one of the big companies or, or big, big distributors, or is it, you could just work on an independent film that's worth that that's made its rounds. That's actually a really great question. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go into a little bit, but the, the answer is kind of, so, I mean, as we go along here, or I think by now, at the very least, people are going to be like, well, the Oscars certainly have their problems, but it could be a lot worse. But the idea is that you have to have worked on, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go into it. Actually, so I looked up some specific, because each, each, each category has kind of its own little set, like subset of requirements. The requirements for actors and writers are different. The requirements for directors and editors and set designers are different. Um, for example, here is a requirement to be kind of member of the actor branch. You need to A, have a minimum of three theatrical feature film credits in all of which the roles played were scripted roles, one of which was released in the past five years, and all of which are of caliber that reflects the high standards of the Academy. So, like, yeah, you you could be in, like, ten films, but if they're all, like, you know, B-movies or YouTube originals or whatever, like, that would not get you in the Academy, and they have to be of, quote, the high standards of the Academy. B, but here's a cheat, have been nominated for an Academy Award in one of the acting categories. So if you get nominated for an Oscar, you then uh, can submit an application in order to then vote on future Oscars. Um, or C, having the judgment of the Actors Executives Committee otherwise achieved unique distinctions, earn special merit, or may not stand in contribution as a motion picture actor. So Jackie Chan has never been like formally nominated for an Oscar, but he gets to be in the Academy because he's Jackie Chan, right? So, I mean, that's not a perfect system. I mean, you can just sort of immediately see sort of issues with that where... I earlier talked about how like, oh, there's a lack of diversity in the academy. Well, here's part of the problem where it's sort of a self-perpetuating thing where, you know, a guy, uh, a white guy in the 1940s who really likes John Wayne movies or whatever nominates people who are in John Wayne type movies. And then those people just keep nominating other people who make films that they like. So it's not perfect. I also out of curiosity, I looked up what you need to do in the editor category it is a have a minimum of four theatrical feature film credits of a caliber, which in the opinion of the executive committee reflect the high standards of the Academy. Um, these credits must be principal position screen credits as film matter with at least two being single card credits. Interesting. Shared cards shall count as half credit. So if you go in the editor's room with your friend, you should get half of a credit. Supervising film editor credits also shall count as half credit. Every candidate, including those who have edited pictures, nominated for best picture documentary feature animated feature film, foreign language film category must fulfill these minimum requirements or B have a principal position screen credit as film editor on a picture nominated for film editing or C, you know, have been edited a lot enough movies where people think you're good. Yeah. There's the nebulous thing where you need to be nominated for quote Oscar caliber film or whatever. And the board will then review the candidates and then they invite you. So they say, Hey, we really like what this guy or girl uh, has been doing. So we'll invite them to join. And then you can not join if you, don't want to i don't i don't know why you wouldn't i mean being the academy has a lot of like advantages obviously i mean as a fan the fact that you just get sent screeners for every possible film to nominate you know sounds awesome of course they are dvd quality so that's a bit yeah. of a if you're trying to vote for what cinematography and you're watching on <laughs> right. like a 480p screen <laughs> i mean yeah the oscars have their issues 
But as like I said, it can be worse. I, I was listening to the Flophouse uh, podcast that I'm a big fan of. And Elliot Kalin is one of the hosts. He was a former head writer for The Daily Show. He's also in the Academy. And he said that now he got a screener and it has like the whole like burned into the screen. But it specifically says like his name so that if it gets leaked on the Internet, they know that like it was him. <laughs> so I, but that would man, that would be distracting if I was just sitting there and like and just like I was trying to watch you know, 1917. And there's just like Melvin on the screen the whole time. <laughs> but I mean. The Oscars, as imperfect they are, they're film people being nominated by uh, their peers, uh, peers who have either consistently produced, in theory, decent decent work, or at least been Oscar nominated. Uh, with the Globes, you have allegedly freelance journalists shrouded in mystery who have to write four things published somewhere in the world. You and I could not could qualify for that. Like, but the question remains: Who are they? Who are these people that wield so much power? Are they really all that unqualified? Do they even exist? <laughs> it's like a Mr. House or like something like that, where it's just some computer that's just making decisions for us. <laughs> Somewhere there's a laptop just like churning out Golden Globe nominations. <laughs> like a server room. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's obscenely hot. That's why no one can be in there because the AI is just so powerful. Yeah, I, I just pictured like Krang from Ninja Turtles and Mother Brain from Metroid just sitting in a room. <laughs> being like tarantino does it again you know and just (laughs) it's just yeah it's just some sort of algorithm that just based on like internet chatter yes and and like mentions knows like well this is popular and interesting and 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 that's why it always goes for rage culture yeah because it knows that people are just mad they'll tweet about it people seem to not like women no like <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh, I'm not explaining why Joker, Tarantino, and Scorsese like clean up this year. Apparently, it's like that is what film bros and film Twitter in general love it or hate it. We'll talk about. So I mean, <laughs> it picked up from Twitter and DeviantArt from all like the Joker <laughs> artwork that's out there. Joker and Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's just a rogue like AI with just like pictures of people from Comic Cons and Joker cosplay flashing before its eyes. <laughs> i like this better it's not it's that so, unfortunately so much more believable. as much as i would yeah, love to yeah. do like a four-hour podcast about the giant brain in a jar picking gold globes <laughs> it's close to being that weird though because in 2015 a guy by the name of adam k raymond wrote an article t- for vulture titled a detailed breakdown of a small group that picks all the Golden globe winners in it this hero attempted to track down a report on each and every single member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Adam writes in this article, just who makes up this little band? We tried to find out and were met with varying degrees of success. Some Hollywood Foreign Press Association members are legitimate journalists and critics whose work can be found in major newspapers and magazines. Many more were junketeers who seem more interested in getting a picture with their subject and asking probing questions. These are those who are pretty much invisible on the internet those who have been in the organization for half a century seem to be coasting by reputation. And our favorite, a former bodybuilder turned B-movie action star. Do we know who that is? Oh, don't worry. I will get to that. This is the type of thing that I just love. I love just strange mysteries that have resolutions that not necessarily mind-blowing, but they're just sort of oddly fascinating, mildly interesting, if you're into this kind of thing. I read, So I read through all of it. and. I'll talk about some of the numbers that stuck out before Warren. This is where the formatting of my notes gets a little weird just because I was just like sleep deprived haze going through all these names. <laughs> but like 
Okay, like to give the devil its due, to be fair, as you say in the quote, there are some pretty legitimate members, ones that I will highlight, or at least notable. Like when I, so I initially put, was looking at these names before reading the Academy requirements. So there are some people that I was like, well, I could see why they would vote for like a prestigious film award. But then reading what the Academy requires, it does kind of make them seem less legitimate. So I mean, this is kind of like when your professor, like everyone in the class gets a 40 on a test. So like people got 30, got a B kind of thing. Uh, generally speaking, most articles I read online that also did similar kind of exposés would claim that 20 to 30 of the almost 100 members count as legitimate critics or journalists. And after reviewing the list and doing some of my own independent research, I would mostly agree with that assessment. And granted, like this does, this is sort of like subcategory B. Like there's a larger category, which I'm sure some people would rather us talk about in some ways about just like, what is the point of awards in, in general? What, like who has a right to judge which films are good or bad, which is a legitimate conversation to have. Like, so if, you, if you're one of those people who's like, oh, what do critics know? Then you're not going to like this list like more than I dislike this list. So, okay. For example, let's just go through some of the people that I th- thought stand out and are good or people that I at least would be comfortable hearing the opinion of and going, okay, I could see why I would list this person's opinion on movies. There's Ursi Deneau, who is the founder of the LA Greek Film Festival and is an independent filmmaker. I looked up the film festival does still exist and is shown every year. That's a very niche film festival, but hey, that's something. There's Nalaye Holmes, who is the U.S. representative for the Russian Cinema Fund, which is, quote, the Russian government's key funding body for the Russian screen productions industry. But granted, that's according to their website, so I don't know. But that certainly is something. There is Mariah Kanishi, a Japanese journalist, documentary filmmaker, who I looked up what they had some documentaries on sushi, which didn't do critically very well. But hey, there's their filmmaker. So I would say that puts in pretty good standing. Uh, Noel D'Souza is in there. This person fascinates me. They're an Indian, India born actor with over 45 acting credits on IMDb dating back to the 50s. Most of these are like bit roles like he played like the Indian guy in Wedding Crashers, for example. So, I mean, like that, I would say, so, you know, this isn't somebody who has some great like Oscar like caliber performances, but 45 acting credits on IMDb, that ain't nothing. There's former variety critic Emmanuel Levy, making him the only person other than Philip Burke that both I and Adam had heard before his article existed. I have read Emmanuel Levy's uh, writing in the past. He's a good critic. Yeni Nun Katz is an award-winning writer in Chile. H.J. Park is a South Korean film critic who, the only member of the Hollywood Film Press Association to also be part of the Los Angeles Films Critics Association, which is pretty shocking if you stop and think about it for one second. This entire group, they have to live in in California area. Only one of them is considered an official Los Angeles film critic member of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Uh, To put it in context, a guy who... I was reading his blog back when I was in high school, but he lives in the Boston area. He's an official member of the Boston Film Critics Association. So not hard, but okay. I also need to mention Lisa Liu, uh, who's a Chinese-born actress who is the sole person in the Hollywood Film Press Association who is also a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. So that's right. She gets to vote for both the Globes and the Oscars. Do your thing, man. Uh, There are also several people who are just like regular contributors to respectable movie sites and newspapers. Or at the very least, they're fairly well esteemed in publications in home countries. There's uh, John Hitchcock, Patricia Donner, Anna Maria Bahania, Sylvia Bizio, and Catherine Tulik. These people are not outstanding. They don't have like Pulitzers or they're not award-winning journalists or anything, but they consistently write for publications in their home country. 
Um, I mean, it's hard for me to gauge how esteemed their writing is from far away. Like I don't live in like Ireland or Germany or, or um, South Africa. Like I can't really, I, I, some of them I actually did try to find their writing and I couldn't find it in a, in a language I could read or B, like it was hard to track down lots of articles. But if you read through the list of bios and on each person from this article, there are a few worrying patterns that stick out immediately. First, a lot of the members primarily like, like a lot of the people where they do most of their writing is on their personal movie blogs and websites. In them, as stated in the previous quote, you'll find more pictures of celebrities than actual like articles, reviews, or any sort of hard-hitting journalism. Uh, and so like while they may hit this like weird four articles quota by getting things published on random sites here and there, it appears that for some of them, like they're only frequent editors themselves. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with running your own website and writing just for the passion of it. After all, like I am saying this on a movie podcast that like we are just independent producing ourselves, but just sort of raise a lot of red flags in regards to membership requirements and the perceived quality of said members. And second, a distressingly large portion of the people in the Hollywood Press Association seem more focused on talking about celebrities, gossip, and also doing interviews with celebrities than like analyzing movies and TV shows. Like I so like I said, I combed through a lot of people's writing. Like I, I read what they wrote on their personal websites and looked at like the things that got published elsewhere. And the vast majority are celebrity interviews, like Q and A's. They're like puff pieces about like scandals or writing about weddings. So there wasn't a lot of essays on like screenwriting or cinematography or anything. And I I was kind of shocked because like when I think of like if I was say like, oh, yeah, he's just some guy who writes on a movie blog. You expect at least for them to be sitting there writing like think piece articles about like why Joker is really awesome or something. You know what I mean? Like I expected at least at that level of quote unquote journalism. Most of these people aren't even like writing like high school level, like why Donnie Darko is a cool movie type stuff. <laughs> They're literally just like. Oh, man, like, here are the five outfits that Drew Barrymore wore on the red carpet. Like, here are some photos from this person's, like, wedding. And I, several of them aren't even writers or journalists. Some of them are just photographers, which kind of fits the whole motive here. Hmm. And third, and I cannot stress this enough. I cannot stress this enough. The vast majority of the members' main source of credibility is the, their presence in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. For example, when I Googled Hans J. Spurkle... The top result I got were articles making fun of the fact he's in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association <laughs> and people calling the Golden Globes dumb. So like it's a, it's like that's one thing I sort of want to highlight is this sort of this like nebulous thing of like, why are they credible to be the Hollywood Foreign Press Association? Well, obviously, they're in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So like so it's just like it's this thing where like once you get in, OK, I'm set. The way you're describing this and, and these people, the people who are really just sort of like in the hfpa because i am not going to say that <laughs> yeah these people who are in the hfpa that aren't like regular journalists like actual journalists it's almost like do they are they are they still on trust fund money do they have jobs <laughs> or are they just like people who just have a blog and pay wordpress to to keep stuff online like because if you if you're googling somebody and assuming that they're in what generally might be thought to be a prestigious boys club is the hfpa you would assume that that's limited to people of industry clout which as we're going over isn't true like these are just randos and so as that one article says they're just randos and so like who what do what do they do 
like, what do these people do? I, it's weird. <laughs> when we get to where, whenever we get to the end of this, I do have like kind of like thoughts. I still like this whole thing. Yeah, it's, I love listening to this. This is fascinating. <laughs> we mentioned the B movie star earlier, and I'm going to talk about him because he kind of sums up what's so weird about the members of Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And I'm sure that as soon as I said Russian bodybuilder B-movie star, most of our listeners were like, okay, who is this guy? Uh, well, here he is. His name is Alexander Nevsky, and he has appeared in several Russian-American co-productions, so I'm sure they're funded by that previously mentioned person. As a B-movie action star fan, I love bad direct-to-video movie starring like former like aging martial artists and stuff <laughs> yeah going through this guy nevsky's filmography it was a real trip for a guy like me he started movies alongside billy zane former ufc champion alec tektarov who's also russian and even in a movie with david carradine all these movies are terrible like there isn't a single one of them that i was legitimately interested in watching outside of like a morbid fascination um, there's a really fascinating article on him from IndieWire called uh, titled Who Decides the Golden Globes? Meet Bodybuilder Term Filmmaker Alexander Nevsky. <laughs> it's totally worth checking out if you want to know more about this guy. But like, it's an inspiring story. Like, He is a Russian bodybuilder who had dreams of going into Hollywood. And if you actually read a story, it was this like thing where he had just a lot of like odd chance encounters. But he mentions that part of why he pursued joining the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is it would help him just have connections in the industry. So it was just sort of like, do a favor for me, I'll do a favor for you kind of relationship where like he heard that it was a good way to sort of like circumvent a lot of roadblocks that might come up against you. And having the Hollywood Foreign Press Association credentials would help him get more like gigs and things like that. And like I said, he sort of is the perfect example of this, where of what makes this group so interesting to me, where this guy is very tangentially like part of hollywood like he's certainly an actor he certainly does movie things but like there's sort of no checks and balances for the caliber of work he's putting out like yeah i'm happy for the guy i'm glad that he got to transition to making big budget sort of hollywood movies with russian co-financing alongside billy zane but like the first thought is like, why should this guy get to vote on the Golden Globes? <laughs> so here are some of my favorites from the Vulture article. I'm going to be reading them as written. And as I mentioned, there's a slight level of, I would say, like condescension. Let's start. Armando Gallo from Italy. Gallo appears to be more of a photographer. He was a longtime LA correspondent for Cerisi E. Canzani. 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 Gallo appears to be more of a photographer. <laughs> Just leave all that in. Uh, he was a longtime LA correspondent for Sri C. E. Kanzani. And over the last six years, he's, quote, worked exclusively for OGGI. According to his website, he also made the definitive Genesis coffee table book. So if you're looking for just a bunch of photographs of the band Genesis, I don't know if it's uh, all Peter Gabriel or post-Peter Gabriel. <laughs> There's Yoram Kahana from Germany. Kahana owns the Shooting Star Celebrity Photo Agency. It's noticing a pattern, uh, which has a website that shouldn't be missed. Here's a piece about his collection of 19th century Bentwood furniture written in the LA Times back in 1987. So one of the running things that you notice in a lot of these is there's sort of an underlying thing of like, we cannot verify if these people are actually writing the four articles a month thing. Some of these people, the only published work we can find for them is from 10, 15 years ago. So it's the first example of that. There's Ahmad Latif from Hong Kong. 
according to an article written on the Hollywood Foreign Press Association website itself, it sort of paints his like late. This is a late life hobby for him. Uh, he directed a thousand TV commercials. Hmm. Uh, that is his claim to fame. Uh, he maintains his Hollywood Foreign Press Association membership by writing for an unnamed magazine in Hong Kong. Running theme there. Uh, there's Patrick Roth from Germany. Though Roth has been called an LA-based film journalist, he's better known in Germany for his novels, which include a biblical thriller, among others. So, um, <laughs> what the heck is that? <laughs> I, I the, the Return of Samson. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna see if I can so find strange. his biblical thriller. There's Elena Prime from Tahiti, and quote: "Does Elena Prime exist? Almost certainly." Burr having a heck of a time confirming that. There's <laughs> uh, George Doss from Egypt. Quote, everything we know about Doss is contained in those words you've just read. He's George Doss and he represents Egypt. <laughs> Philip Burke from Australia and Malaysia. Burke is among the most well-known members of the Hollywood for Press Association. And not for good reasons, the former president of the organization took a six-month leave of absence from the Hollywood for Press Association after his memoir with Signs and Wonders angered members by leveling the same criticisms we did in this piece's intro. Burke has also been accused of fraud while heading the Hollywood for a press association and of grabbing friend of Fraser's butt at a party. So there's the guy. He committed fraud, assault, and called the Hollywood for a press association a joke. <laughs> what, what a career. Uh, Luca Salata from Italy. Salata writes regularly for Il Manifesto, a communist newspaper. Here's a recent Q&A with Christian Bale in which he calls Moses, quote, the original jihadist. Wow. She also writes for LA Art Magazine Artillery. <laughs> Uh, These are really strange. <laughs> you gotta love it. Erki Kanto from Finland. On his website, Kanto calls himself entertainer, speaker, lecturer, Hollywood journalist, author, producer, director, IT director. On another, he's, quote, Hollywood journalist, author, producer, director, IT director as well. So he lists himself there in two different locations. He also mentions having written more than a thousand pieces about Hollywood over the years, but it's hard to imagine any of them being as interesting as, quote, this video of him explaining face reading, which I can't show it to you because this is audio, but it's like a weird YouTube video, which I watched, of him explaining how to like, like decipher things about people from looking at their faces. And it's just a still <laughs> shot of him on a stage. It's really strange. <laughs> Theo Kingman from Australia, the Netherlands and Cuba. The current sitting president of the Hollywood Press Association as of 2015 has been a member for more than 20 years and photographed many, many celebrities for publications in a handful of countries. Upon his election in 2013, um, in our interview with The Wrap, he was quoted as saying that he is, quote, determined to change the organization's image as a group of part-time journalists with little credibility beyond that bestowed by the lucrative television shows. <laughs> what a goal. What a thing to openly Doing say. Doing a good job. Like, that'd be yeah. like if you, like, got promoted at your job and became boss, and the first thing you said is, I can't wait to make this place, like, not terrible. Which, like, that's bold. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, side note, I actually did, I was, I actually got hired at Starbucks for like a week. Uh, like, well, I worked a week, but I was hired for technically a month. And while the person, like, I got hired by one person, they quit. And then a new boss came in between that. And they were showing me around the Starbucks and were just pointing out all the things everyone was doing that were wrong with them present. It was one of those uncomfortable, <laughs> like, here, they walk you through your workplace thing. So, like, someone was cleaning something and she, like, pointed at them and goes, yeah, they're cleaning over there. They're not supposed to be doing that. We're going to fix that eventually. <laughs> that poor person just sitting there wiping the table, like, trying not to make eye contact. Uh, very weird. Here's the sort of the, so, like, those are some of the highlights. Most of them, if you, like, 
a lot of them are pretty much to the tune of here's this person they write for this one newspaper here's a link to their blog where they just post pictures of themselves with like you know Anne Hathaway and Ryan Gosling kind of thing um and uh, like I said most of them there's like a nebulous like way of like trying to do decipher whether or not anything they claim to have written is written I'll also say that one of the things I left out is a good number of them also if you click like into their Twitters or something most of what they post about is just about the Golden Globes. So there's a couple of people where most of like their output, quote unquote, is articles for the Golden Globes website, uh, writing about how prestigious the Golden Globes are. Or one person, their Twitter is almost entirely pictures of them like, here I am setting up the chairs for the Golden Globes. Here I am setting up table placements. Here I am cleaning the toilets at the Golden Globes. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it's one step above that. So like, but like, here's another thing that's really interesting to me. In the Vulture article, there are links to two different news stories about the legitimacy of the Golden Globes in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. One is a Washington Post article from 1996, and the other is an article from The Wrap from 2011. Both these articles, 15 years apart, describe the Hollywood Press Association and the Golden Globes as a sham award show being governed by unqualified star chasers. So this begs the obvious question. Why on earth does anyone care about these? Like, why are they put on each year? Why do we sit down and watch them? Why do people go to them? Why do the celebrities attend? So, like, as soon as you start, like, reading all this ridiculous stuff, this sounds like like a farce from, like, something like a sequel to The Producers or something. Um, you're like, wow, this is so silly. But then there's the underlying question of, so why does this happen? It's almost like it's a giant joke that everyone's in on. So why does this keep going every year? So to begin, NBC actually bankrolls a large portion of the proceedings. Uh, in 2018, they inked an eight-year deal with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for the exclusive broadcasting rights to the event, paying them an estimated sixty million dollars a year. Holy cow! Uh, for comparison, right? That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of change. Uh, for comparison, ABC gives the Academy Awards seventy-five million dollars a year for the Oscars. So, a strange lack of disparity between those two. Uh, Daniel Holloway, writing with the deal for Variety, explains the decision thusly: In an era where broadcasters are putting an increased premium on event programming that drives live viewing, the Globes have been a standout performer, even as ratings for the other award shows have declined in recent years. The 2018 Golden Globes telecast averaged a 5.0 rating in the 1849 demo and 19 million viewers, according to Nielsen Media Research, drawing more viewers than any other telecast in the previous 10 months. A recent article from Deadline wrote that the Golden Globes are the second biggest award show franchise, beaten only by the Oscars. You're good. I just bumped my mic. <laughs> That's a good way to my yeah. pop filter. I don't know why. <laughs> like, ah, oh, God, dare they get some ratings. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I just killed Daniel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I guess I'll just, I was like going to fold my arms, but I guess I'll just let them hang. <laughs> <laughs> what a great visual. Um, just you sitting there like, like a gorilla, just like listening to me talk about going notes. <laughs> just like do little. Yeah. Oh, uh, keep going. <laughs> um, but the more cynical reality is this. One constant thing that's brought up in the few actual interviews you can find with Hollywood Foreign Press Association members is that being in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association provides almost instant access to events, press junkets, and face-to-face time with people in the biz. Uh, Paula Adu-Joud, oh man, I definitely didn't say that name right, um, in an interview with Variety is quoted as saying, when you're not a member, you have to be nominated by the distributors in each territory in order to work uh, and to be included on junkets. It helps me as a TV journalist. It's important for me because so many of the TV junkets only care to domestic journalists. This, up, this benefit is brought up by fellow members such as John Hiscock and, and German Scott Orland, who quoted in, uh, who's quoted as saying, I'm their pipeline to Hollywood. 
uh, and by journalist Peter Howell, who shared this anecdote from 2008. At the press junket for the Curious Case of Benjamin Button in December 2008, journalists who had flown to Los Angeles from around the world had to make do with interviews secondary stars of the film, because stars Pitt, Kate Blanchett, and director David Fincher spending all of their time carrying Hollywood Foreign Press Association favors. And this sort of reveals the mutually beneficial relationship. Peter Howell, uh, writing in the Toronto Star in 2010, bluntly t- in an article that's very bluntly titled The Powerful Nobodies Behind the Golden Globes, writes, The 91 star-worshipping members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the most elite club in Tinseltown, are called because they play a major role in helping celebrities and power players get what they really want. Wait for it, Melvin. An Oscar nomination. The annual Globes bun feed the broadcast, which rolls again on Sunday, comes as the nearly 5,800 uh, voters, this is the time of writing, of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences are going to be filling out their Oscar nomination ballots. Academy members watch the Globes along with everyone else, and they can't help but be influenced by winners, tearful acceptance speeches, and general levity. And this is sort of the ultimate reason. The Golden Globes are, in reality, just a giant party that serves as a major part of the Oscar campaign for studios. Waxman in their Times article writes, Hollywood goes to great lengths to win the favors of voters of the Golden Globes. For the studios, these awards are an essential marketing tool for the Oscars that follow. This year on February 29th, movies that win Oscars frequently go under millions more at the box office and garner higher DVD sales and, and fees from cable and television deals. Further on the article, they state, but because of the Globes, the group's members are showered with attention and gifts, dinners, and special outings. They are granted access to stars and have net news conferences with the director or leading actor of every film. At those events, the actors pose for individual photos with every member of the association who wants one. And so here's sort of the ultimate like conclusion here. And this is what the Globes really are. It is this perfect marriage of starry-eyed journalists who want to rub elbows with celebrities and studios who will gladly send gift baskets and pay for fancy dinners along with providing exclusive access to stars in order to jump more buzz for their movies. NBC gladly pays for their ratings. Because, uh, I mean, TV ratings are just declining everywhere. Like, very few things people get people to tune in live. And the studios and actors play along for the press and the buzz, and the small-time journalists enjoy the benefits. So you get people who just want pictures of celebrities for their blogs, who would suddenly get to get up close and personal with George Clooney, with Matt Damon, and then the studios then cater to these people who really just want to be one of the in-crowd. Some of the things I was reading included things like for uh, Seabiscuit, all the people in Hollywood Press, for Press Association were sent like special scarves. Uh, some people get flown out for exclusive screenings. In some cases, they'll set up like a private screen at their home, fully pay for the dinner for everything. And so all of these quote unquote powerful nobodies get to feel like they're big shots in the big leagues. And in exchange, studios get to help their Oscar campaign and hopefully like drum up more buzz for their movies. And so that's ultimately what this is. It's a giant commercial it's a giant sham but like everyone involved gets what they want where like as much as i'm sure it pains someone like christian bill sit down with somebody who calls moses a jihadist he has to do it because that's what the studio wants him to do as part of the oscar campaign and so the studios are happy the hall for foreign press association is happy NBC is happy and everyone involved knowingly thinks this is stupid this is pointless but it's part of the job i guess so that's that is the golden globes melvin it's it's frightening to see how massive and big reaching and popular something like the Golden Globes is only to unfortunately like have your cynicism confirmed. <laughs> like I I don't like being like, yeah, the Golden Globes are just a sell and they're just there's no real purpose. All we really care about is the Oscars. And then to sort of step away from that and have like that perspective confirmed by research and, and study and 
anecdotes and quotes. And so I guess I just start to think to myself, like from a biblical standpoint, what do I think about all this? Like, what do I think about from a biblical standpoint that something this massive, something with this much money being put into it, something where randos are playing the game and then also the game is playing them. So you have random people who just want to get photos and increase their blog uh, valuability or maybe just even have a photo with somebody, which is like when you really get down to it is such a fascinating thing. I don't know if I quoted these sources, but several different like both like websites, kind of like uh, Vox media type sites, as well as like articles I was reading, they include some amazing, amazing pictures of Hollywood for Hollywood Foreign Press Association members you know, cozying up with celebrities, and they are as cringe as you are imagining. Like most journalists try and like dress up for their appearances. A lot of people in the HFBA do not. So you get people like in like sweaty sports shirts or like with like pictures of their favorite favorite NFL team next to like Kate Blanchett. And it's just <laughs> or, you know, the Russell Crowe or something. And it's just amazing. Do they ever hover hand? Uh maybe. I wasn't looking for that, but it's that same energy, if that makes sense. <laughs> energy. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I mean, what a what a great example of treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. Yeah, I like, was thinking the same thing. You know, like what's yeah. the point of all this? Where it is one sham award show in order to better get another award that is, while more legitimate in some regards, is also just a statue that's going to stand on your shelf. And I understand that it's more for the studio. It's it's two tiered. We're like Oscars are for the studios because they affect like international distribution rights and things like that where a smaller film that might not get access to other territories because it wins an oscar can like then get released in those categories and um i'm sorry territories and then like they mentioned like you get better like syndication deals for an oscar and win you get like more like home video releases and you get to sell more copies of your home video releases and then like oscar films get to get released in theaters and things like that and so like in that regard it's just a giant thing for people who have money to make even more money but then for like the actors and the people involved and the filmmakers it's this weird thing of like needing to be legitimized where it was part of what i thought was so dumb about the leonardo dicaprio needs an oscar thing there's a part of me that was just like does he like we all know he's good like why does that matter and then he wins for and this is part of why i'm not a huge fan of the oscars is if i was to ask you hey name your favorite leonardo dicaprio movie like top five things people are going to say like, oh, Titanic was eating Gilbert Grape. He was great in um, like a lot of Tarantino stuff. Romeo and Juliet. Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, one of Bosler and better films. Like Man in the Iron Mask. Like if you're going to sit there and name a DiCaprio performance that changed your life, no one's going to say The Revenant, you know, <laughs> or like what's your like, you know what I mean? And that's that's the sort of thing where like there's a whole thing of like apology Oscars where everyone knows you're supposed to win for this movie. But then the next year, they finally got like justice was served. It's just like, what's the point of that? Yeah. And something I've been thinking about a lot lately, uh, as I'm getting to know more about uh, me and the Lord and that relationship, getting to know more about uh, worshiping the Lord and and thinking about what I put out. I've thought a lot more about what do I consider good um, coming from this idea that like if God is good and everything about God is good. And then I were to say, this movie is good, but that movie might contain something offensive or that movie might contain nudity. So I have to look away for a minute. 
And then I compare that to what I just said about God, where like everything about God is good and I don't have to look away and I don't see something offensive in, in God. Then what does it mean for me to say that this movie's good? And so like we're thinking about award ceremonies, which are at their core should be about rewarding goodness, like good quality filmmaking, good quality performances, good quality narratives. But you can go through like the Oscars and and from a film standpoint, if film was our God, you could say, yeah, these movies are pretty good. But then like we come at it from like, you know, what what we understand about God and what we understand about what we're told to be and what we understand to to living the good life, which is like Christ, because Christ died for us. And now I owe my everything to him. And so I'm told to live like him. And so I'm going to do that. It then sounds strange to be like, like you mentioned The Revenant, which has brief nudity. And it's like, that's the one he's getting nominated for, for, yeah, he may have done really great stuff, but then like, he's also naked for one scene. And so like, from a moral standpoint, like, is that the, is that good? Is that worthy of reward? I don't know. It's, it's a really complex thing, but like. Then you start to see beyond, you know, the initial like just you got an award situation and you start to see what the uh, these award ceremonies are for, like the Golden Globes. Like I, I said, ironic in the beginning about the making of the Golden Globes being about foreign press so that they can connect with um, stars because being uh, foreign press, they don't get that right so much. And now we're talking about apart from Bong Joon-ho, we're talking about just, this year. It was just white dudes, yeah. There's not a lot of representation. So like the whole purpose of it being made was for representation only to fall out and have them join the same club of no representation. It's that idea of like, if you can't beat them, join them. And so they did. And now we're stuck with them just doing that. And like, that's not good. <laughs> that, that's like the exact opposite of good. And to me, that's the real tragedy of all of this is like, I mean, film is an art form and a lot of people put a lot of work into making films, like a lot of talented people. And if anything, I think one of the ways that all award shows could improve is by expanding the categories. I think it's terrible. There's no stunt category, especially now. Like, you know, we all know that like stunt work is integral to a lot of big blockbusters, the movies that fund all the smaller art house films. There's no voice acting Academy Award, which is, I think, a travesty. Yeah, that makes no sense. And not that we're just biased because we are an entirely vocal medium. I mean, voice acting is just... I, I've been watching a lot of uh, animation recently. Um, both my wife and I have been trading off being sick, so we've been stuck at home watching cartoons. And <laughs> I've been watching I've been watching Batman the Animated Series again. Uh, my wife has never seen it, so we're watching it together. And she's really enjoying it a lot. And one of the things she constantly points out is like, how effective the voice work is at like conveying these characters and there's so much to it's, it it's it's amazing yes it's one of the best shows for voice work i i, I would agree with that sentiment and then i watched um a couple other things like i watched uh i i so i started watching i watched kippo in the age of wonder beasts and i started the dragon prince and both of those have odd animation styles specifically uh dragon prince has like this weird like kind of herky-jerky animation but all of the shortcomings of the actual animation are, are undone by the voice acting caliber of it and that's a great example of something where like the, that's just something the academy just doesn't get where it's a bunch of like stuffy old people and they just don't understand these Josh darn cartoons kind of thing and it's like that's to me is, is this tragedy of 
they've ceased to be about commending the excellence in their own field. It's the self-congratulatory chasing of glory or like the Golden Globes. I mean, granted, we established they didn't start out great, but I mean, there's always potential there. I mean, there's no reason the Golden Globes couldn't evolve into a more nuanced uh, awards show that maybe even recognizes all the films the Academy doesn't. Like, what if the Golden Globes had been given awards to like The Last Black Man in San Francisco? Or you, you've talked about your love of the movie Waves or like, what if it was doing mostly like smaller independent films, you know? And But instead, it's just a bunch of people trying to achieve like the recognition of the Academy. And then my, one of my main takeaways was it's, I'm so glad that I know I'm not the one who typically gets religious on, on this show, but I'm so glad that we, in order to get validation that we don't have to go through all of these hoops, like it, this, there's just something so sad about it where these stars, these people who are artists, who love the art of filmmaking, who love acting, this, the image of them sitting there, like, just like, I just, there's a picture of like, someone like adam driver just sitting in a chair he's been being interviewed for hours and hours and hours and there's some guy from the hff uh, hollywood foreign press association asking him like what's scarlett johansson like she's real pretty and he's sitting there and he's like he's an artist he's worked so hard to make great films and he's reduced to this because the studio wants to make more money because he might be able to make another award which will then go on a shelf and it's just like that's not where like that doesn't make Adam Driver a great actor. His worth as a human being doesn't come from like statues on his shelf. You know what I mean? And it's just like these great mighty titans of the industry just peddling to. And there's a this is the oddly amazing thing about this whole story, and I didn't really get to touch upon it, which is, gosh darn it, the Hollywood Press Association got exactly what they wanted. It was eight people in a room who just wanted to talk to celebrities, and now they're in a position where they wield an amazing amount of power. Like, that's a lot of power for 90 people. At first, you're like, why in the world do they limit this thing to only 100 people? Why in the world can you only get in if two other people in the organization can nominate you? And it's just a bunch of friends hanging out, getting to interview their favorite celebrities and directors, and they get to help decide the Oscars. Like, there's a slight bit of, like, the little guy taking it to taking it to the big dog here, but go on. Well, there's, like, two things. I mean, one, like, as we're talking about this, it's it's the idea of taking kindness and turning it into a commodity. Like, the only reason people are being, like, encouraged through, not even through interviews, but just through, like, a, a plaque is to sell. Like, that's that's what it is. And, and something about encouragement is you don't do it for anything other than to be kind and loving. Um, when you start to turn it into a commodity, you create cynicism. And when you create cynicism, you have Todd Phillips over there like, hmm, I could do something with that and goes and makes Joker. So I don't know. It's just really bizarre. The second thing I think about is like, you describe the idea of like, it's just a couple of dudes that m- probably met in a basement, drank beer, and were like, yeah, you know... Ingmar Bergman, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what this was. And like, instead of probably wanting to talk to Ingmar Bergman and say like, wow, like the Dance of the Dead scene, like that was great. And you just made that up on the spot. And now it's devolved into Scarlett Johansson, man. Wow. (laughs) She's great. Like, you just had Adam Driver sit in front of you. Like, don't you want to ask him about like, how is he doing with like his military ministry where he's like encouraging gis to like express themselves and through art so that they don't have to bottle up all of their trauma like that's a that would be great you could ask him like hey like you've talked about like wanting to do that and then you also share like difficulties and wanting to watch yourself in movies like have you found it cathartic to then make more movies to express that 
that anxiety. Like maybe those questions are really personal, but that's journalism. (laughs) You, you ask your, your guest who's come onto your show, like, are you comfortable with these questions? And if they say sure, then you ask them. And that becomes a lot more interesting than like, what was it like to stand in the same room as this other actor? I don't know. Like that just sounds bizarre to me. And, and again, like I fall back on like, like just how gross all of this is. I recently watched a really good video from someone, uh, their YouTube channel is called Renegade Cut. And they're a little controversial just because they're unapologetically like very left leaning. Like, but he did a video about the Oscars recently where he, his, his question he asked was like, do the Oscars matter? And spoilers, his, his conclusion was kind of. And part of it is just like, I mean, all the films on it for Oscars are of some value and merit, like artistically. Like you can't deny that. Like if you look at the list, I don't think any of those movies could be called on all accounts like bad it, from like maybe a movie has like isn't like, OK, like there are certain things about, for example, like and I it's been well documented here. Like there are certain things about the Joker that I didn't think quite lined up thematically, but you can sit there and be like Walking Phoenix has put in a bad performance, for example, like all of the films are of some merit. So yes, there is that level where like the Oscars matter and that they help you recognize some quality of films. But what are the couple of things you pointed out was first off, the Academy clearly does not recognize all films made every year. Most of the film, like one of the requirements to be nominated for an Oscar is they have to run in a California theater for a certain number of weeks. So that immediately disqualifies most films from like Bollywood or like any international cinema of any kind. Um, so like you can't say that the Oscars are measurement for the best film of the year period, but it's kind of like he was talking about this idea of, of like, how do we gauge quality? Like, and that's kind of the idea behind the awards ultimately. Cause I mean, the, the, one of the questions we'd be sitting here and asking is why do we watch these awards? Why do we care about the Golden Globes? Why do we care about the Oscars? Even a little bit. I mean, we've sat here to talk about how the, the Golden Globes and Oscars are dumb, but here we are talking about them regardless. So there's something to them, right? Right. Um, right. But like, I love the idea is bringing up of like, what, like, what is the measurement of quality in a film? How do you decide what is and is not good? Like, why do we look to the Oscars? An award show where, like we mentioned, it's a bunch of people giving awards to their friends, most of which are not international films, most of which are not niche films. Oftentimes, they either don't talk about films that tackle the experience of like, let's face it like my like non-white people unless it's something like green book where it's just like it's the concept of race and racism but from the perspective of like a white savior narrative you know yeah yeah remember that controversy that was wild or like crash (laughs) where like all you all you gotta do to fix racism is be nice sometimes you know like it's these films that tackle these issues in a way that's comforting to this particular audience it's like self-validating things you don't really have to do to fix the problem exactly when in reality problems take a lot more like we just talked about how problematic these reward shows are it doesn't get fixed by you just doing one tiny little thing that requires a like on facebook or just being kind to people like like the big moral problem is like people are come on like I I'll I'll fall back on this one again. I don't know. I just really like the thought of just like this is a big problem of like turning kindness and encouragement into money. Like there is no purpose for these other than money. Yeah, it's trying to gauge quality. And that's a good thing. Like it's good to sift out things that like really are something we should be like that was really great. That really spoke well. That that's good. But also like these award shows are really just taking advantage of that. So, I don't know. I I don't know, man. These are 
These are really interesting thoughts, yeah. and I almost feel underprepared. <laughs> but I know that part of the excitement for yeah. you for getting this ex- like started was to drop all this stuff on me. So, oh well. <laughs> for those listening, Melvin did not know what we were talking about today. I, yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I just said, "Hey, great. I'm preparing an episode about the Golden Globes," and he said, "Oh, cool." And I said, "I have written 13 pages of notes so far," <laughs> and he said, "Oh." cool so <laughs> i when i'm prepared i wanted to, you know to him to go along the journey with all of us uh the other thing is one of the things i did kind of hope to talk about or hope that we would eventually circle around to is in about like how we determine quality just in terms of like technical quality of film or okay so one of my soapboxes is i absolutely positively hate when people say things like oh what do critics know i don't care about the what the critics say And it's not because I think critics' word is gospel. Like, I don't think the tomato meter or something like that is the end-all, be-all measurement of film quality. Rather, A, I think it's weird that people say that, but then we'll be in a Facebook group of 400 people, and then we'll listen to some rando with no credentials, like, saying, like, you know what, this movie's great. Like, I don't know why that source is considered more reliable by some people than, like, somebody who writes film criticism and watches movies for, like, a living. I think that's weird. But also, I think it's just a reflection of how we engage with other people's thoughts and feelings in a movie, which I think is similar to how we view award shows where there is, I think there's a proper and right, right way to ingest the idea of an award show. Same thing with like film criticism where you don't have to agree with it. I'm not saying you have to like read Roger Ebert's review of a movie and just take his opinion on his own. That's what I'm saying. And I don't think the Oscars should be the end all be all of turning what is it is not a good movie. That said, the golden globes are just, nonsense <laughs> like all of that nonsense. said like th- this is th- part of why i want to talk about this is this is a rare example where this these this these awards truly have no merit there is no value to these other than part of an unofficial official oscar campaign for other movies that is one of the most cynical sad things yet inspiring things because 90 people who just wanted to talk to celebrities ended up in a position where they can talk to any celebrity they want for any reason they can go to a press junket and immediately get up close to brad pitt and everyone has to wait in line that is horrible and sad but that is an example of hollywood eating itself in a way that is so delicious and wonderful yet so dumb i cannot help but kind of like admire and love it yeah and and to tie, tie this back around to sort of the whole like idea of uh the whole like okay so what's our christian read of this situation man oh man does the word of man have no value compared to the word of god man oh man does all of the treasures of this earth all the awards that humankind can give you pale in comparison to what you can get from the lord because even if you're non-religious and you're listening to this can you sit there and tell me that you can get yourself worth from any movie award now can you sit there and tell me that like all of the adulation of man means anything because it sounds pretty worthless to me based on everything we've just talked about. Yeah. I don't know if you have a response to that, but I think the, one of the big things is discernment. I mean, discernment is just so important and discernment sometimes takes stepping in a lot further. Like we even just briefly mentioning throughout this episode, like Joker is cynical and that's this and that, like, does any, did anybody who saw Joker know that it's a cynical film with a cynical worldview? That's all about like, all of this stuff doesn't matter. So why don't you just laugh at misery? Like that, (laughs) like if you didn't know that that's what it's about, that's what it's about. (laughs) So, uh, and then you have to think to yourself, is that good? Like, is that good that this film is just espousing something like that? Is that good that the golden globes are entirely existent to help like 
basically be an Oscar campaign? Is it good that the only reason people are getting rewards is for the sake of selling more DVDs and Blu-rays? Probably not. Probably. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> and especially from a biblical perspective, like, like we are told that there is a treasure out there in a field and that when you find it, you're going to sell everything so that you can buy that plot of land. And like, if you're worried about like selling everything that's like what the movie Joker or what the, these awards you're getting at, like the Oscars or what you're getting the chance to speak to somebody who just just is doing his job. Like Adam Driver, you're going there and talking to him about Scarlett Johansson. This guy's literally just doing his job. <laughs> Adam Driver is just showing up on Marriage Story doing his job. And boy, howdy, is he doing a really good job? Anyone who's a fan of anything, like if you're a serious hardcore fan of like Star Wars or any sport or sports team, you begin to learn sort of like the underlying underbelly of that fandom or that industry that you're a fan of. And I think there is a there is a a there is a worry that in learning the behind the scenes stuff that'll take away your enjoyment and fun of it. And I think I like I think that's part of why some people like kind of like bristle when you start like when they go oh I like that movie and you say like oh what did you like about it and like oh well you know and i think and then when you start talking about like the directing or cinematography or symbolism or like anything like that there's some people that will be like they'll like tense up and kind of back away and i think it's because of this idea that like once they like learn what's underneath or they get exposed for maybe they don't, they don't know all the technical aspects that their enjoyment of that thing will be stolen like they know all the tricks that they you know the rabbit's out of the hat the magic's gone kind of thing um, but really, I think you're talking about discernment. You're talking about like just having this sense, this like spiritual sense for what's good and what's right and sort of seeing like what's underlying beneath there. And for me, I, for me, that doesn't ruin my enjoyment of things at all. It, it just recontextualizes them where for me, like being able to watch a movie, knowing all this policy and stuff, knowing the nonsense that people get put through and making films and promoting them, then the award cycle, and the fact that anything good comes out of it at all is kind of a miracle. And I, I can't help but appreciate when something or when something truly beautiful and stupid comes through. Like, um, I always think of the movie Real Steel. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. Wasn't that like a it was like a weird movie that like made no money, had a pretty good video game, but then like was critically like uh, enjoyed by like most everybody. I it was remember. that Hugh Jackman robot boxing movie. And it's one of those things where I can't help but like sit there and be like, I'm kind of glad that this dumb movie exists. Like I was watching, um, I mentioned the Boston critic earlier and his name is a guy named movie Bob. Who's kind of, he's also controversial internet because he has some very dumb takes occasionally. Uh, but he talked about like how this is a great example of how, some, how sometimes the system just works. Like the director isn't anything special. The writers haven't write, written anything particularly wonderful. Hugh Jackman was like, th that was like one of his like break movies where he, he wasn't doing like a lame is he was doing a real steal. Or uh, he wasn't having to bulk up for Wolverine. And it was just this dumb, silly little movie. And the fact it came out okay is kind of like a miracle of how like the Hollywood machine sometimes produces things are all right. And that's just how I feel about everything now. Well, like it's amazing when any sort of artistic vision gets through. It's amazing when a filmmaker gets to make a movie that says something. When there's all these like pressures and algorithms that they're kind of get pushed into. It's just like uh just like cats. <laughs> like say what you will about cats but it is a fascinating thing that that exists at all yes and that's like really kind of cool then thank god for yeah. cats thank cool. god for cats and thank god that <laughs> it's it, rarely does everyone get on the same page rarely does society just completely agree on something and watching this, this twitter meltdown about cats was really just something <laughs> wonderful and, and beautiful to behold
Thanks for tuning into this episode of Monthly Movie News. We hope you had a good time listening. If you like what Cinematic Doctrine has to offer, be sure to check out our other shows like Trailer Talk and our typical movie reviews. You can also leave a review on your respective podcast app or consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support as little as $3, you can vote on a movie I review at the end of each month. If you want to keep up with Daniel, you can check him out on Twitter at TomRondo1. That's an H after the R. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.